Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Before we come to the Word, let's, as the people of God, let's stand together. Let's pray for one another. There are people who are grieving. There are people who are sick. There are people who are, are struggling at the moment. And we believe in, as, we, as we've prayed before about communion, Christ is the answer for all of these situations. And we need to pray. And so let's join together and pray for our family and, and our brothers and sisters and our family. Father, we just thank You that we can come as the people of God and believe for healing and wholeness in people's lives. Lord, the comfort in the storms and the griefs and sorrows. Lord, we have the griefs of this world, but we don't grieve without hope. We have this confident expectation of good in this life. And so we pray, move on people's lives today. Let virtue flow. Let strength flow into their hearts in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Wonderful church. Just do want to say thank you so much for your love expressed, uh, both in keeping in touch with each other, making phone calls, uh, caring for one another in so many natural, practical ways. And we we are so grateful for the the body of Christ because it talks about Corinthians having the same care one for another. And and that's good. We can make those calls, those texts, and, and even some appropriate personal visits uh, do that with wisdom inside the guidelines we have. And uh, on top of that, also thank you for your generosity. Yeah, I, I am so amazed and, and thankful to God that, that we have this privilege of leading the people of God who love Him in, in such practical ways as well. And so I'm so thankful to you all. Let's come to the Word of God now. And we're continuing now, it's part five. Uh, and, and I want a journey now of how, how do we, change. We talked about yeah, getting our desires right. Well, we only get there if we know what the truth is. So what truths do we need to turn to? Now, part of that means turning away from some, but turning to. And so last week, look, we looked at three main areas of sin. Uh, and we looked also at the definitions with sin, iniquity and transgression. But, you know, ultimately behind every aspect of sin, there's a lie. A lie that produces emotions, which produce a negative result in the context of eternity. Not many people think of themselves as individuals who believe lies. But every time we don't trust God or His Word, then we're believing someone else. And that's a lie. Maybe something else, but it's still a lie. The the main reason we don't change is normally our pride and our self-reliance. And in our pride, we, we make excuses or we minimise or we justify and we, we hide those things and we refuse to see the lies for what they are, lies. We, we take responsibility for our lies. We need, we need to step back and go, God, that was me. Because when we take responsibility for our actions and, and we call the lies out, that leads us to repentance, which in turn leads us into the forgiveness of God and the freedom which we looked at last week. And another, another reason we don't change is that sometimes, and this is sad, but sometimes we don't really want to. We want to avoid the consequences or the shame of our sin, but somewhere we still love the sin. This is where apparently positive emotions are attached to the sin, which enhances the lie and it deceives us. We talked about that self-deception 
last week, we have to make choices. This is the Hebrews 11:24, reading from the Passion. It says this in verse 24, by faith, or sorry, faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. He found his true wealth in suffering abuse for being anointed more than anything the world could offer him for he had his eyes looked. They looked at something better. They looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate, faith's great reward. Holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who is unseen. See, see, there's this place where sometimes when we choose the righteousness of God, there are prices to pay. Moses said that that pain is worth it. And this attraction is not worth it. This attractiveness of the sin and the ways of the world is nothing. It's not permanent, it's temporary, but this is of greater value. And so we need to keep coming back to the cross. The cross humbles us. It brings us near to God. The cross brings things into their true perspective. Will, will, Will we choose truth over pleasure? Will we see eternal value above the best the world can offer. Matthew, Mark and Luke all record Jesus' powerful words on this matter. Let me read to you both out of the message in the New King James, 16, Matthew 16, 26. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Most of us have read it like this. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? They're they're challenging questions. It's about what truly is of value. What do we see is of great value? See, how we see the truth determines how we act. One, One writer writes it like this. He said, the gospel applied to our hearts every day frees us to be brutally honest with ourselves and with God. The assurance of His total forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ means we don't have to play self-defensive games anymore. We don't have to rationalise or excuse our sins. We can say we told a lie instead of just saying, well, we exaggerated a bit. We can admit an unforgiving spirit instead of continuing to blame our parents for our emotional distress or our circumstances, we could admit that we were deceived and unwise and acted accordingly. See, we call sin out for what it is, regardless of how ugly and shameful it may be, because we know, we know that Jesus bore that sin in His body on the cross. We have the assurance of total forgiveness through Christ. And therefore we have no true reason to hide from our sins anymore. We we don't need to hide them like Adam and Eve hid from God. We don't need to. We can come into His arms. We can run to Him and say, God, I messed up. I've sinned. And we find His mercy. See, we can live free 
from the lies of sin, when we take personal responsibilities for our actions and our attitudes and then live a life of freedom in Christ. It won't be a life of perfection, but a life of freedom. Freedom to change, to admit our sins and errors and to grow in Christ. See, life and freedom are found by trusting and delighting in the truth about God. The battles we face most often are the ones between what we believe in theory and what we believe in practice. The battle is to believe in and live in the ways of God, which often seem contrary to the ways of the world. In Christian life, humility is the way to exaltation. Dying to self is the way to new life. Generosity is the way to wealth. Grief is the path we walk to joy. Hunger is the way we find satisfaction for he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness shall be filled. Selflessness is the way to self-fulfillment. Shame for His name is the way to glory. And recognising the ways of man, the foolishness with man is the way to wisdom of God. See, we need to learn to preach the truth, those kind of truths to ourselves, the truths about God to our own heart, the, the truths that are so powerful that if we can meditate upon them and lay a hold of them inside our being, they will transform us. Truths like God is great and He loves us. So we don't need to be in control. God is glorious and watches over us. So we don't need to fear others. God is good and He's all we need. So we don't need to look elsewhere. And God is gracious and merciful. So we don't have to prove ourselves. We just come to our Father. See, keeping a heart free from all the works of religion is one of the most difficult, constant and important works of life. Heart work is hard work. To shuffle through religious duties with a careless spirit will not cost us much. But to set ourselves before the Lord and take captive straying thoughts to a constant and serious attendance upon Him, that will cost you something. To become skilled at praying eloquently seems pretty easy, but to have a heart broken by sin as you confess it and find forgiveness and are healed and a hold in our heart, to have our hearts melted by free grace while we bless God for it, to be really ashamed and humbled and yet confidently assured of His love as we see His infinite holiness and His mercy, to be kept by His grace. It's an amazing thing and it's a challenging thing to repress the outward acts of sin and, and control the outward aspects of our life in a respectable manner really isn't that great. I spoke about last week's like mowing the lawn. We haven't dealt with the problem. Believers, non-believers even by the, by the discipline habit can look good. But to kill that root of corruption, that iniquity within, to keep a holy rule over our thoughts, to have everything in our heart right with God, that's not easy. Paul calls it being dead to sin and alive to God. One of, the, one of the hymn writers, Richard Burnham, wrote a hymn on this same topic. And sometimes the, the words of some songs just are powerful. Listen, to know my Jesus crucified by far excels all things beside. 
All earthly goods we count but loss and triumph in our Saviour's cross. Knowledge of all terrestrial things, never our soul's true pleasure brings. No peace, but in the Son of God. No joy, but through His pardoning blood. Oh, could I know and love Him more and all His wondrous grace explore. I would never envy man's esteem, but part with all and follow Him. Uh, Here's this heart cry that someone has seen that nothing of this world compares to the love of God. Nothing the world has to offer, no glamour, no fame compares to the wonder of being a child of God. Augustine wrote it like this, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once feared to lose. You who are sweeter than all pleasure, though not to the flesh and blood, you who outshone all light, yet are hidden deeper than any secret in our hearts, you who surpass all honour, though not in the eyes of men who see all honour in themselves. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth and my salvation. This is the revelation of of the great men and women of God. They've come to the place where they realise that humility with God brings such value, such joy, such peace, such assurance. And throughout history, all the great reformers of the Gospel have come to that realisation of the truth that even though the world doesn't see it, all we need will be found in total surrender to the Lord. The Apostle Peter, in his broken humility, sense of failure and worthlessness at denying Jesus at the cross, is recommissioned by Jesus to feed his sheep. It's in that deep, heartfelt grief of the question, do you love me? It's in there that Peter finds the mercy of the Lord. Three times Jesus asked the question, delving deep into Peter's heart. There is a revelation, even in our best and deepest love for the Lord, we will still often fail, but we will receive His mercy. That's amazing. That's amazing. We can do our very best and fall short, but we have His mercy. Paul finds it in his own journey to an ever continuing greater revelation of God's holiness and mercy. And he sees himself increasingly more and more in need of the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Those revelations, that kind of revelation should grow in us a demonstration of the mercy of God. See, having received mercy, we should give it freely. Having received the abundance of His grace, we should be givers of that, not not holders and hoarders, but givers. And if we forget that, we're in great danger. In Matthew 18, Jesus touches this topic in verse 32 and 33. He's talking to a servant. uh, That He talks an example of a servant who had been forgiven. And the servant goes out and and finds another servant who owes him and, and, and he doesn't forgive him. And here's the response of the master. Then his master, after he'd called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, 
just as I had pity on you. What a challenge to us. If we are calling ourselves believers, recipients of the mercy and grace of God, and we are, ought we not be those who give that mercy, that grace, that forgiveness freely? For freely we have received, freely we should give. I don't want to be gullible, but I would much prefer to be accused of being too merciful than being judgmental. I need help with that because the natural response is to be a bit sceptical and a bit cynical. And I can't change that by myself. I need help to overcome those things. One thing we must all face is the reality. There are things that we cannot change and there are things we can. And we have a responsibility to do what we can in the areas we can change. Taking that responsibility is one way we grow. We also have a responsibility and the power to face the things that we cannot change and allow them to change us and grow us more Christ-like. Our actions, our attitudes, our motives, our responses, they are all within our power. He has given us that ability, even in the things we cannot change. And maybe sometimes we can't change it now, but maybe there's a way we can have change with that. Maybe it's not the right time or maybe we need help. Maybe we need other help. Uh, 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 We need to face the truth of that and say, look, I need help. Boy, that's humbling. I need help. Sometimes it's just some assistance. Other times it's a total dependence on somebody else. And that can be either humiliating or assuring, depending on our attitude. It's humiliating if we haven't dealt with our pride because, you know, we, we want to help but not be helped. It's assuring if we realise we are better together and none of us is called with every ability. As Paul says, the whole body of Christ, the church grows and edifies itself in love. It grows and edifies itself in love as every part does its part. He also tells us that we need each other. Boy, it's it's tough at this time. I I just want to catch up and hang out and do coffee with people. I I, want to just, I want to get back together and I'm I'm longing for that because we all need each other. Let me give you an example of how important we all are. There's a a famous painting that I, I was a little bit disappointed when I saw it in the Louvre in Paris. It's the Mona Lisa. I was expecting some spectacularly huge painting, but it's, it's a half size. It's, it's not that big. It's, it's just, but it's famous. You know, Leonardo da Vinci painted that and he gets the credit for it, but he painted it on a very thin slither of poplar wood panel. And he painted it with brushes and possibly other instruments. Um, It would have been painted while on an easel or something similar. And the wood would have been attached to some kind of frame later. Who made the frame? Who cut the timber for the panel and the frame? Who made the paint? Who made the brushes and the other instruments? Who made the containers for the paint? Who grew the food that fed the artist and all the others? Who prepared his meals? Who trained the artist? Who paid for it to be done? Who commissioned it? Who was the woman? They still don't know that one sat there for hours, I don't know how long, but he painted it. And the list goes on and on. There are so many unnamed who's. 
behind the scenes that made that piece of artwork and every one of them have some small part in that most famous masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance. When all the parts come together to make a masterpiece, so is the body of Christ. You and I, as God brings us together, He makes a masterpiece out of us. And it may not be that we play a giant part, but every part is necessary. Part of that masterpiece is realising the truth that none of us are perfect yet. That each of us should be growing and changing to become all that He's called us to be. Either growing in our abilities that God has given us or in partnership and relationship with others, realising and accepting their gifts and abilities as well giving honour where honour is due. And God gives all of those gifts. And God makes it so that no one is an island. No one is totally self-sufficient. God made us for fellowship. God said, it's not good that we should be alone. See, the hard issues that that want to be, that have pride and, and draw us away, they're not the things we want. We want the truth that God is working. And we never have independence in everything. We are never totally self-dependent. The whole thing will always be about dependence upon God. Believing God's plan and our part will be surrender and submission and obedience. The ultimate truth is that only God can change our hearts for eternal good. And the Psalmist said it this way in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. It's interesting when you look at this psalm, it was written after Nathan the prophet confronted the king about his adultery with Bathsheba. After the assassination that he arranged for her husband. This is not just being caught with your hand in the Anzac Bicky jar. This is looking in the mirror, being confronted with our own wickedness just like Peter denied Jesus three times, just like Paul saw himself persecuting the Christians and approving of their execution. David commits adultery and murder. No wonder there's a cry, create in me a clean heart, O God, at the revelation of the truth of our own wickedness. So what excuses do we make? What justifications for our sin do we accept? Eddie Espinosa, in 1982, wrote a song called Change My Heart, O God. It's an amazing story of this same principle. And he tells this, tells this in an interview. This is his words. The year was 1982. I'd been a Christian since 1969, but I saw a lot of things in my life that, I needed, to, that needed to be discarded. I had slowly become very complacent I acknowledge my complacency and I pray to the Lord. The only way I can follow you is for you to change my appetites. The things that draw me away, you must change my heart. Shortly after, he says, I was in a car on the way to my work, feeling a desire to draw near to God. And with the wrestling still going on in my heart, suddenly a melody and some words began to flood through my mind. As I stopped at a stop sign, I reached for something to write on. The first thing I found was a small piece of yellow paper, which by the way, I still have, and began to write as rapidly as I could. It was like taking dictation 
I wrote the words on the paper and kept the melody in my mind. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like You. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mould me and make me. This is what I pray. The, The greatest truth we must all face is that our journey to eternal life begins with a heart change. And only God can do this, but we surrender to Him. The Psalmist goes on in that Psalm and he says in verses two and three, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Paul writes to Timothy in wisdom, about the role we play as leaders. And he says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. The King James says that they would acknowledge the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, it's when we face the truth, to face the truth of our own condition, and we face the truth of the amazing mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, patience of God. That's when we find the way to eternal life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, right now in this place, it's not always easy to face the truth. It's a challenging season of our life when moments come and seasons come where where we feel so unworthy. But the truth is our worth is not in what we have done. Our worth is in the One who loves us. And that if we will come to You in humility, You will accept us and receive us. You will forgive us and make us clean. You will create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit. And as the Psalmist said, and there would be a restoration of the joy of Your salvation. Jesus' mighty Name. And maybe you're watching today and, and you don't know Jesus. You know. The love of God is towards you. His mercy is amazing. And and it's not a condemnation to acknowledge the truth. It's not a a condemnation or a put down to say, "I'm, I'm not okay with God. I'd had to do that one day. It was probably one of the hardest days, but the best day of my life. And when I make a right decision to turn to God, how exciting, how powerful, because I know He's forgiven me. And God will forgive you too. God will restore you. And God will give you a hope of the future. And you'll find a joy in walking in the salvation that's given when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord in repentance. Maybe you want to do that today. So let's finish off today with this simple prayer. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, just pray this prayer from the depths of your heart and I'll lead you in it. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I come to You today. I come in the Name of Jesus. I thank You that He died on a cross for me. 
I thank You that He rose again from the dead. I thank You that I can be forgiven because of that. I receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And I ask You to forgive me of all my sin. Thank You for forgiving me. And I believe, Jesus, that You are coming back one day for us all. And I will be a part of that. And so I commit my life to You now. In Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. And if you just prayed that prayer, God bless you. The church has wonderful material to help you on your journey of faith. Just contact the church office or just keep watching and you'll, you'll see the details that will help you with that journey. We want to give you something and help you on your faith journey. Good morning, church. God bless you all.